You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Continuing with the theme and the thought of the Father's love, I thought it appropriate tonight that we just take a few moments to take a close look at a passage that we're all familiar with that probably most of us in this place could even quote from memory and have heard from the time that we were little children. Uh, But it is a a special passage. It's probably uh, the most power-packed and the most information-filled verse in all of the Bible that God's Spirit has given us through Uh, the Lord Jesus himself, who spoke these words. John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 3, verse 16 for just a few moments. They've given me more time than I thought they were going to, and that's great. Uh, That means I can take more time. Uh, No, we're just going to examine this for a few moments and and, uh, be reminded of some things as we've thought about the Father's love. Those of you that grew up with fathers that love you, uh, with all their hearts and loves the Lord Jesus with all their hearts. You have a very special heritage, have a very, very special heritage. And I trust that it was probably easier for you to come to know Jesus as Savior because of that special kind of love relationship that you had with an earthly father who also loves the Lord Jesus. Uh, more than anything, I pray daily that uh, not only would my young girl grow up to see me as, as a pastor, as a man who stands here and, and shouts, and uh, thinks he's important, but that she'll see me as a, as a man that loves Jesus genuinely with all of his heart and model that kind of love in my relationship to her. And uh, you who are fathers who have children, uh, take that to heart. How important that is, how important it is in that relationship and for that child to grow up and for it to become very natural and very easy for them to love their heavenly father when they have been involved in a very meaningful spiritual love relationship with their earthly father that is centered around and is built upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. So important for all of us. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This verse of scripture has been called a lot of things. I read one time, a place where a fellow said that John chapter 3, verse 16 is really, in fact, the gospel in superlatives. You really can't say it any more clearly than John three sixteen says it. It is, in fact, the gospel in superlative type language. All around our world, wherever the gospel has been preached by missionaries or by uh, vacationing Christians that go around the world, wherever on the, on the face of this globe where the gospel has been preached, John 3.16 has probably been one verse that has been preached more and has been mem- memorized by more people on the face of this earth than any other verse of Scripture in all of God's Word. As a matter of fact, when missionaries go into a foreign country, one of the first tasks that they usually will undertake is to translate God's Word into the language of the native people there so that they have the Scriptures in their own language where they're able to understand it. 
And this verse, I understand, is usually the first verse that they begin the translating process with because, in fact, John 3.16 is the gospel in superlatives. I even heard one fellow say it this way, that if all of the scripture was lost, if all of the rest of the word of God was lost to us and all that we had was John chapter 3, verse 16, we would have enough of the gospel message that we would be able to trust Jesus in faith and be saved and be born again. This verse of Scripture tells how God the Father, that loving Heavenly Father, takes the initiative in salvation, that He seeks us out, that He has sought us out, and that He seeks us through His Son, Jesus. That it is through Jesus Christ that God the Father has ultimately shown that love that He has for us, and that that salvation that He offers through Jesus can only be appropriated through faith in Christ, and that when that is done then we have the promise and the gift of everlasting or of eternal life. That is the message of John 3:16. So much, so much the Father loved us that He did that, that He gave that only begotten Son in order that we might believe and be saved and have eternal life. And so tonight, let's take just a few moments and break this verse down in a few uh, places and look at this verse and try to to be reminded, to, to experience it anew, to experience it uh, afresh, to not let the familiarity of this verse ruin the meaning of it for us, but to experience it a new way, what God's Word says about the love of the Heavenly Father. First of all, notice the extent of God's love, the extent of God's love. He says, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. And the word there in the original language, cosmos, means the totality of the created universe. It means everything. And it means everything that exists within that universe. God so loved the cosmos. God so loved the world. That means every single human being, every single part of God's eternal creation falls under the umbrella of the sovereign love of a heavenly Father. Now, that's difficult for me to grasp, quite frankly. That is difficult for me to grasp. It's easy for me to understand how the Father could love these girls. You look at them uh, in their pretty dresses. They're, they're, they're so sweet. Uh, it's, it's easy for us to look at that newborn baby, that fresh creation of God, and look at that, that miracle of God in birth and, and see how God could love that precious little child that is, that is innocent, that is so naive, that is really ignorant of the wickedness of the world into which that child has been born. And we look at that little bundle of, of, uh, of excitement and, and of a miracle as we hold it in our hands. And it's not difficult for us to understand how God the Father could love that little baby child. But it's not so easy for me to understand how God the Father could also love that man or that woman who someday might abuse that little child, might uh, whip that little child unmercifully, and might ultimately even take the life of that little innocent child that is laying there helpless and cannot even defend himself. That's difficult for me to grasp. It's easy for us to understand how God the Father could love that missionary that these girls have been studying about and that they talked about tonight that missionary that because of his love for the Heavenly Father and because of his personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus is willing to say, Lord, I submit to your call. Lord, I'm willing to give up the comforts of, of life in these United States. I'm willing to give up the comfort of home and, and the relationship of all of my family and being able to be with them, my mother and my father and my aunts and my uncles. And I'm willing, Lord, to hear your call and to answer it and to go into that foreign country where I'm not welcomed that place where I am a stranger, when I, where I am in the minority. 
and where I am oftentimes not going to be received with, with open arms. But Lord, I'm willing to do that for the sake of the cross of Jesus and in response to the call of the Holy Spirit of God upon my life. It's easy for us to see how God's love could be showered upon that individual. But it's not so easy for me to fathom how the love of God could be extended even to maybe some of those people in one of those communistic countries or even not a communistic country where they begin to laugh and they begin to ridicule the cross of Christ and they begin to persecute and they ultimately may even put to death that missionary who has given up all of the comforts of life here to go and preach the gospel around the world. It's not easy for me to understand how God's love could extend even to that point, but that's what the scripture says. The scripture says, for God so loved the world, the world, the cosmos, all of creation and every entity in it, everything. God the Father loved the world that much. The baby, yes, and even the child abuser, the missionary, yes, and the, and the murderer of the missionary preaching the gospel on the foreign field. God loves them all. And all of us fall underneath that umbrella of the love of the heavenly Father. I hear people say periodically, God can't love me. God can't forgive me. I've done too much. I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. Are all of those kinds of things that sometimes people are prone to say. And I want to say to you that the message of John 3.16 is that there is no one, there is no one that can possibly go beyond the extent of the reach of the hand of a sovereign God that is beyond the umbrella of the love of the Heavenly Father. Every single one of us falls beneath the umbrella of his love. His love is immeasurable. Paul got caught up in thinking about that in Romans chapter 8. And he just, under the inspiration of the Spirit, just kind of got rolling about expressing the immeasurable uh, dimensions of the love of God. And he got involved and he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Oh, listen to this. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you get the depth of the love of God? That's what John 3.16 is all about, the extent of the love of God. For God so loved the world. I read when I was a college student about Karl Marx, who was a Swiss theologian, speaking at Princeton Theological Seminary in a seminar there. At the end of the seminar, it was opened up for some of those young theologians, those uh, Princeton theological students, to ask him questions. And one of them uh, raised his hand and asked, uh, Karl Barth, this question, Dr. Barth, what was the deepest theological thought that you ever had? What was the deepest theological thought that you ever had? And Dr. Barth, after thinking for just a moment, looked at him and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The love of God. Karl Barth was a flake in a lot of areas. Karl Barth was completely off the wall theologically in most of the things that he said, but he had it right in that one. He had that one right. Theologically, he could not have been more correct in anything that he could have said. What is the deepest theological thought that you could possibly have? 
Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. And John 3.16 tells us about the extent of God's love. For God so loved the world. That's the extent of God's love. Let's go on. The expression of God's love. What about the expression of God's love? Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. That is the expression of God's love. Whenever I uh, get eyeball to eyeball with somebody and share the gospel in a personal way with them and, and challenge them with the, with the claims of Christ on their life and their need to trust him and turn to him in faith, I always, when I come to John 3.16 and sharing the gospel, will say to them that that is the earmark of genuine love. For God so loved the world that he gave. That giving is the classical earmark of real and genuine kind of love. God's love, in other words, real love, is always giving love. It is unconditional love. It is love that asks for nothing in return. It is simply that which is given as a free gift and requires nothing for the maintenance of that relationship and requires nothing for the maintenance of that love. That is the expression of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now you can contrast that, and I always do, with the love of our world. And we all know what the love of our world is like. It is very much a conditional kind of love. It's a love that has all kinds of conditions attached to it that says, I'll love you as long as I can get something from you. I'll love you as long as you measure up to my expectations. As long as you've got something that I want and I can, I can better from this relationship, then I will love you that long. But when you cease to measure up to my expectations and you cease to have anything that I can gain from, then my love is withdrawn. That is the love of our, love of our world. But notice the expression of God's love. For God so loved that he gazed. Notice what he gave. He gave his only begotten son. Volume upon volume upon volume has been written about that word, only begotten. What does it mean? Literally, it means unique, one of a kind. Literally, it means a unique son of God, a one of a kind son of God. You see, all of us are sons of God in a sense, even the lost man, in a sense, is a son of God by creation in that he is a creation of God, that he comes from the hand of the creating God. And so in that sense, all of us are physically sons of God, but we don't become spiritually sons of God. We don't come back into a personal relationship with this heavenly father. We don't have the promise of eternal life until we trust Jesus in faith. But all of us are physically sons of God by creation. We become spiritually sons of God when we trust him by faith. But Jesus is a son of God in a way that is completely and totally unique to anyone else. He is the only begotten son of God. He is a one-of-a-kind son of God. What does that mean? Well, that's been the subject of volume upon volume upon volume of books, trying to capture the meaning of that. Let me tell you my understanding of what Jesus, being the only begotten, the unique son of God, really is all about. Jesus was the unique son of God, the only begotten son of God in this sense, that he was none other than God himself. He was none other than God in the flesh. That is what sets Jesus apart as the Son of God from anyone else on the created universe. Jesus is the unique, only begotten Son of God in the sense that he was none other than God himself come in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. 
Verse 14, it defines for us what the word is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of what? Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. You see, this word which was with God and was God, the scripture says, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh, nothing less. Not two gods, but one God, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. In John chapter 20, Jesus had been resurrected, and he had appeared to some of the disciples. But a few of them had not seen the Lord, and so they were gathered together, and Thomas was one of the ones that had not seen the risen Lord. And the other disciples were excited and saying, Jesus is risen. He lives. He's alive. We've seen him. And Thomas replies, I'm not going to believe it. I won't believe it until I see the nail prints in his hand where he was crucified, and until I'm able to put my hand into his side where the spear pierced his flesh. And the scripture says that about that time, the risen Lord Jesus appeared in their midst. And what did Thomas do? He bowed down and he said, my Lord and my God. Jesus, the only begotten son of God, is the son of God in a unique sense in that he was in fact God in the flesh. If you turn over to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul expresses it so well. He says, Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, whom although he existed in the form of God, and that word form means in the exact representation, the exact stamp of God. He was God himself, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, yes, even death on the cross. Not two gods, not three gods, one God, one God, the expression of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten son. So what John three sixteen actually means, folks, is that when God the Father gave, he gave nothing less than himself. That's the expression of God's love. When God gave on the cross, what he was giving was himself. He didn't send somebody else. He came himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. I don't understand it. But I don't have to understand it for it to be the truth. I don't have to be able by my human reasoning and my human fallen intellect to be able to reason it out and to be able to put it in compartments and, and be able to compartmentalize all of my theology in order for it to be the truth. It only needs to be spoken in the word of God for it to be the truth. The expression of God's love for God so loved the world that he gave the only begotten son. I had a pastor friend of mine share with me one time not the names, but the result of a counseling session because he thought sometime that it might be interesting for me to know that. And he said he had a married couple in his office. They were talking, and obviously there were problems, and they got into one of those sessions that are the good kind, that are the healing kind when some good is done, when everybody drops their mask, and everybody quits trying to fool the other one, and they just get right out there, all the cards on the table, if you want to use that, that terminology, or they just lay it all out where everybody can see it and really begin to get gut-level honest with each other. And that husband in that counseling uh, session just kind of blew up, and he just said, I don't understand your problem. I've given you every single thing that any woman on the face of this earth could possibly want. I have a good job. I make a lot of money. You have a new car. You have a new home. You have new clothes. You have all the money that you want, everything that you could possibly need. I don't understand your problem. 
And she replied, Yes, that's right. You've given me everything I want except one thing, yourself. Listen, the message of John 3.16 is this, that when man needed a Savior, God didn't send somebody else. He came himself in the person of the living Lord Jesus Christ. The expression of his love is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Quickly, let's move on. Notice third, the expectation of God's love. The expectation of the love of this heavenly Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And here it is, that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. The expectation of God's love is simply this, that we believe. And to believe means to place your trust in. It means to place your life in a commitment kind of way. Believe in the Bible never means just an intellectual acceptance of facts. Yes, that there is a God. Yes, that there was a cross of Calvary. And yes, that Jesus Christ did die on the cross. You can believe all of that mentally and still be lost and still not experience the Father's love. Because you see, believe in the Bible is always an active word. And believe means to make a decision. It means to make a commitment. It means to place your complete and your total trust in those that believe might have eternal life. I've shared this illustration with you before, but let me do it again because it illustrates so well. John G. Patton was one of those missionaries that I read about, uh, not as a GA because I never were one. Uh, I was not anything when I was growing up, and I wish that I'd had the opportunity to do some of these things. But as a college student, I began to be interested in reading the biographies of some of the great uh, servants of God, George Whitfield, uh, Dwight L. Moody, uh, and some of the missionaries. And uh, John G. Patton was one of those missionaries that I read about. He was the first missionary to go to the New Hebrides Islands. And he set about attempting to translate the Scripture from his language, which was English, to the language of these natives. And it was a very, uh, very primitive language. And he soon discovered that they had no, no term in their language for faith. There was no word that they had in their native tongue that could adequately transfer or translate the meaning of faith. And if you can't translate faith, you really can't translate the Scripture because the, the Bible is so uh, inundated with the concept and the word faith. And so he was really struggling with finding a word that would adequately uh, communicate the New Testament meaning of believe or place your trust in or faith. And one day he, he, he wrote this in his, uh, in, his di- in his diary, his life story. One day what, a couple of the, the men in the community had been off hunting and uh, they took care of him uh, as he uh, put his time into preaching and translating and everything. And they, they provided for his physical needs and they had killed a deer and they were bringing the deer down the mountainside strong on a pole between the two of them. And they were carrying this deer all the way down the mountainside on their shoulders. And it was a long way. And when they got there, they were both exhausted and they dropped the deer outside the door. And one of them walked in and just threw himself down on the chair. And he said this, Oh, it feels so good to stretch yourself out on the chair. And Patton immediately said, That's it. That's it. That's the meaning of faith in these people's language, to stretch yourself out. And so he translated Acts chapter 16, verse 31, that one of the girls quoted a moment ago, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He translated it in their language in this way, stretch yourself out on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
To place your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ means to stretch yourself out. And that's the only expectation of God's love. That's the only expectation that God's love has is that you and I make a faith response that we stretch ourselves out on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, all that God asks us to do is to do the most sensible thing <laughs> that we could possibly do. The most sensible thing that anyone could possibly do is to place their trust in the one being in the universe that is completely and totally reliable. And that's the expectation of God's love. The extent of God's love, of the Father's love, is the world. It's unending. The expression is that he gave. It's an unconditional love. It's a giving love. His only begotten son. The expectation of God's love is that we believe that we trust, that we stretch ourselves out on Jesus. And finally, the extension of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We've talked about what it means to have eternal life before. The only individual that eternal can justifiably be applied to is God himself. God is the only one who is eternal. And so to have eternal life means to have God's life, doesn't it? To have eternal life means to have the quality and the content and the extent of God's life himself. To have the life of God within ourselves. That is the extension of God's love that whoever believes might have eternal life. And the word have in the original language, by the way, is in the present tense. And the original language, when, a, when a, word is, a verb is in the present tense, it means continuing action. It means to have and to continue to have. That eternal life is not something that you get at salvation, then it stops. But eternal life is something that you have and continue to have. It is eternal. It never ends. It's eternal in quantity. But it's God's life in quality. That's the abundant life that Jesus talked about when he said, I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Just before I walked in here, I was looking through some other notes, and I came across this little article that I'd cut out of a newspaper. The article says this. For some years, the Chicago Daily News printed on its front page each Christmas Eve a cartoon by the Nobel Prize winner, Vaughn Shoemaker. It showed beneath the cartoon a beautifully decorated Christmas tree. And beneath that beautifully decorated Christmas tree was an unopened package, which was labeled in the cartoon, Eternal Life. The title of the cartoon was The Untaken Gift, with the quotation beneath it, John 3, 16. What a shame. What a shame for the greatest gift that could be given to be untaken, to be left beneath the tree, to have it offered to have it offered freely, and yet it be a gift that's untaken. The extension of God's love, eternal life. The extent of God's love is that his love reaches to all. There is no one that is beyond the reach and the extent of the love of God. The expression of his love, he loved so much that he gave unconditionally. He gave himself in Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. The extent of his love the world, the expression is that he gave. The expectation of his love is simply that we believe. Simply that we trust. To receive the love of the Father in a personal kind of way is simply to stretch yourself out upon Jesus and the extension 
is that it lasts forever. I don't think you can say anything. You can speak that, say that of anything else, can you? Your car's not going to last forever. Your house is not going to last forever. Nothing's going to last forever. But those who know Jesus in eternal life. Amen? That's the love of the Father. The love of the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever, I like that. My name is in the whosoever, and I'm thankful. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The love of the Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the message of your love that is so plainly, so clearly, so simply given in Scripture, and particularly in this place, in this great verse spoken by the Lord Jesus himself. We thank you, Father, that you love us with that kind of unconditional love, that love that is given and that has asked only beliefs in return to receive it by faith. Thank you, Father, for those that are in this place that know you as Lord and Savior, have experienced the love of the Father. I pray, Father, that someone here tonight that does not know the love of the Father in Jesus Christ by faith, personal relationship, I pray that you'd apply this this scripture to their heart, to their life tonight, that they might come to know Jesus, even this very night, right here in this place, be born again, be saved, and have the extension of your life, which is eternal life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Three.